Welcome to the Minnesotan podcast. Today we bring in a non-Minnesotan, Eric Palazzolo from Windsor, Ontario, a staff member at Power Tech Hockey, an incredibly intelligent guy who's seen the uh, the ins and outs of hockey, whether it's his minor hockey to junior hockey and college hockey in Canada route or where he is now at Power Tech. He's got some great words for us. I can't wait for the people from Minnesota to get to know Eric. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. Well, Eric, how are you doing today? I'm great, Tony. How's it going? Great, great. Thanks for coming on. It's uh, one of the first Canadians who's ever joined our podcast. Um, feel honored. I uh, became a big fan of yours via TikTok, of all places. Isn't that strange? Yeah, that, that seems to be the, the greeting place for a lot of people these days. So it's uh, pretty cool that we can get connected this way. Have you had other people reach out to you? Or has TikTok been a, a place where people have been a successful platform to, to see you guys and, and hear about you guys? Oh, definitely. I'd say uh, TikTok's probably been the primary platform that where we get uh, some of our message out. Uh, that's where we attract the most views that we get uh, across you know, for all the social media channels, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's starting. It's starting to grow into other places. Like people will often reach out that they found us on TikTok, similar to what you're saying. So it's uh, it's definitely been kind of our home base for for online marketing type stuff, I guess. We did a uh, quick little video, you know, one of our events this past fall, a quick little top 10 goals kind of thing on there. And we had like three TikToks up there. And that one obviously did like 20,000 or something like that views. And the next tournament was two weeks later. And someone said, are you going to do that for this tournament? It was already, the demand was already created in just one video. It was pretty amazing how quickly uh, we took fire there. And then you've taken fire as well. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's amazing how uh, some of these platforms, the way that you can connect with people and get, you know, get messages out and advertise your business and stuff like that. It's it's pretty fascinating to see how things evolve online. Well, you have definitely evolved uh, throughout your career. I want to do a little bit of background on on who you are and and, and kind of your hockey career and how you got into the game and and it, it's not hard to really figure out how you got into the game being Canadian because it's pretty much uh, it's the national sport. Uh, how did you get, become interested in it? Was it were you was it just by by living in Windsor or how did you get introduced to the game? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's it's most mostly the same story as a lot of Canadian kids because it is more of our national sport. And uh, I didn't come from a hockey family though. So I guess that's kind of a, a unique thing. My dad was really into sports uh, without ever playing anything really organized, but he was the one that gave me, gave me the big push uh, into all sports, not just hockey, but hockey in particular was a, was a focus. We still have home, home movies of me when I was like two putting my skates on or walking around the carpet or playing with a mini stick before I could even talk or say my own name. So it's uh, I know a lot of kids have that story that, that come from Canada for sure. So uh, you told me before you, your parents weren't uh, athletes or very athletic, or but but they were into it a little bit. Uh, they were more musicians, right? I think is that how it, how, how their more their passions were. 
Yeah, well, my dad, like my, a lot of my family, they still have athleticism. I'm not going to say they weren't athletes, but in terms of playing high-level sports, whether it's you know junior, collegiate, or anything like that, there, there wasn't any of that in my family. Uh, I come from a family of musicians, like you said, so uh, not just my immediate family, but my extended family. Most of them play instruments and sing, and uh, my dad runs a, a music school with my mom, and that's what they do as their, their profession. So, so they're entrepreneurs uh, then, right? Yeah, in, in a sense, definitely, yeah. They, my dad started his business when he was around my age, actually. Um, that's when he started getting into, you know, giving music lessons was the start, and then it kind of evolved into being a music school and a recording company and, and all that kind of stuff. So he's very he's pretty deeply uh, involved in that type of stuff. And uh, the sports thing was kind of a, a one-off in my family, at least. We, there's some athleticism, like I said, but no, I was the only one who really pursued any, any high-level sports across my my family and extended family. And tell me about your family. Do you have uh, siblings, brothers, sisters? Yep. Yep. I got two older sisters and I have one uh, younger brother. Okay. All of them. Yeah. All of them, but well, not all, all of us have some musical capabilities, but everyone's kind of doing something a little bit different. What's your musical capability? I didn't know. I'm learning something new now. Yeah. Well, I'm careful about saying that because <laughs> my dad's, uh, my dad and my, my sister and a lot of my family, they're professionals. So yep. it's not, <laughs> It's not the same. I kind of have it as a hobby, but we play just around around the house as just a hobby. Mess around on guitar and piano and singing a little bit, stuff like that. But nothing to to the level that they're doing it at. I was always focused on sports, so that that was my thing. So at my house, we had a pretty musical house too. So every Christmas there was some type of performance. With I can only imagine what Christmas at your house would look like. You know, right? Yeah, there's, there's or a family lot of gatherings of any court, right? Well, it was, it was that on top of having, if you couldn't tell from my last name, the big Italian family. So <laughs> there was a lot of us, and there was a lot of a lot of instruments. Every room in the house basically has an instrument in it, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of pick up and play when when the family would get together. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's really cool. So, yeah. so we, you, you got into the game. Um, Walk through your minor hockey, because that's what you Canadians call it, uh, career, your youth hockey career. Yeah. Uh, what, what was it like? Uh, were you good uh, immediately? Or did you have to work at it? Uh, uh, did, were you AAA? Uh, how does, tell us a little bit. Of, give us kind of a, a lens of what it's like to be a, a Canadian minor hockey player. Yeah, for sure. So I might take some, uh, some knowledge for granted. So if there's anything I say that's not really clear, I can sharpen it up for that's you. fine. Here. Here in, in minor hockey, youth hockey, AAA is the highest level that yep. you can play. So up until you're eight years old, it's just house league. Everyone kind of plays uh, plays together. Yep. Um, and then after that, AAA is the highest level, and it starts to tear off into AAA, AA, and house league. So I started playing AAA right when I was uh, eight or nine years old, the first year that I could. Now, I let me let me stop you there really the quick. Up. Now, do you guys play only by one year, right? So you would play by your birth year the whole time, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that yep. is an interesting uh, distinction between us and the states. Yeah, the the age bracket is separate. I don't know if you guys you guys go August to August or something like that. No, only Min- for- only in Minnesota. Minnesota does two birth years at the same time. So like you have a squirt yeah, year, you play you. the mi- a minor can play with a major, and majors can play with minors, uh, all the way right. through squirts, peewees, and bantams. So that's six years of minor hockey. That's how they do it. So it's it's I just for our Minnesota people, like yeah, they only play by one year of birth, kind of like we do in the off season. Yeah, that's it. So for me, I was a I was born in 1994. So everyone on my team was born in 1994. That's how we do the uh, the age groups. Okay. So that was it for AAA. All so right. We moved up. Uh, 
playing that triple a level i played right up until my ohl draft year so ohl is uh the highest junior league that we have in ontario um so i played up right up until i was 16 uh in triple a and i was to go back to your uh one of your past questions there i was i was a good player i was a skilled player but i was not the best player uh that's for sure so i was i was right in the mix with guys i was a skilled player but nothing if you go and look at my hockey DV or whatever, I didn't have anything spectacular in terms of the stats on paper, but I was a good player. And, uh, in my draft year when I was 16, I didn't get drafted, which was probably like the first, uh, devastating moment of my hockey career. Cause that's kind of every kid's dream playing. AAA Did you think you might get Canada. drafted? Did you think you might get drafted? Uh, I thought I had a chance at the start of my draft year season, but towards the end of the of the year, I was I was sure that I wasn't going to get drafted because normally teams will reach out to do interviews or calls or send you letters in the mail or whatever, and I hadn't received any of that, and some of my buddies had. Uh, but we had a, our our AAA team for my age group growing up was not good. We were we got smacked every game until I was probably 14, and I think our best year was probably my draft year, and we were maybe a game over 500 or something like that. So it's not like I ever played on a, a top team or with any players who are outstanding. So uh, that was kind of the story for my minor hockey. So let me just ask you, so we're, we're going to get to adversity later on. There's there's a little plug for later in the show. But at some point, uh, is this is is this draft year, WHL, sorry, OHL draft year thing, does this maybe end some careers? Like what's the point of playing if I'm not going to play in, in the – in the OHL or in the CHL? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very common. Like a lot of people, not even just players, but parents as well. They put a ton, a ton, a ton of stock in the results of that OHL draft year and whether or not your name gets called in one of the 15 rounds. Uh, and for, for a lot of kids, as we, we touched on earlier when we were talking uh, before we started recording is a lot of kids are coming through now as free agents and undrafted and getting picked up when they're a little bit older. And, uh, you know, when you're when you're 15 and 16 getting drafted, that's just the beginning of your development as a as a young man. And a lot of parents and players put think it's the end all be all, but it's definitely a career ender. I had many many friends that were beyond devastated past the point of return because of that result when they're 15 or 16. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Well, we'll get to that, and I'm sure that's part of the reason you're in the business you're in. Correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's not exactly. over, right? We'll, we'll get no, it's that. Not. And, and... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying we'll get to we'll get to that later a little bit later, you know. But I, I just figured, well, you 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 just basically put it on a tee. I had to I had to hit it out of the park there with that question. Like it, it was just yeah. absolutely sitting there, and I thought, well, maybe he's going to answer the question this way, and you did. I couldn't believe it was that easy. Um, so yeah. for you, let's get yeah. to. I want to just go through you, and then we'll. You're you're already opening up a lot of different questions here, but so. Uh, minor hockey's over uh, at at sixteen. Now in your U eighteen. So explain this now. In Minnesota, we're used to playing high school hockey. Your sophomore, junior, and senior year, you're going to go play junior hockey, not OHL junior hockey. Tell us what league you played in because it's not the Ontario Junior Hockey League, which many have may have heard of. What league did you play in? Right. So so actually to start draft year you can play in junior or there is one more year of triple a what's considered triple a which is u18 yeah so if you don't make a junior team you still have an option to play one more year of triple a which was the team that i started with after my draft year so 
the junior league that I played in was called the GOJHL, uh-huh. the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League. And it would be the closest thing to a junior A league. It has a junior B designation, but we don't have a junior A league down here. So it's kind of the OHL is the top dog. And then the next one down from that would be the league that I played in, uh, which is designated a junior B league here. So so is, there, is, there that, an, that is there an Ontario Junior League and a Greater Ontario Junior League? Yeah, so that, that, the name of the league I played in was the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League. And then the OJ is what you're talking about. That's up more uh, towards the Toronto area. Okay, so there and are so two both, leagues and they almost sound exactly alike, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And they, they don't have, at this moment, they don't have any crossover. So where the border ends for the league that I played in is where the border starts for uh, the OJ. So there's no teams in each other's kind of... Uh, area region. so they kind of yeah it's kind of split would it be kind of like a north kind of a north south east west kind of designation right for ontario yeah kind of like that yeah all right yeah. all right so that all was right. the league that i played in starting and uh i got signed after i didn't get drafted i played in that on that u18 triple a team and i ended up getting signed halfway through that season because i had a really good u18 season so i got signed to a junior team um, halfway through that year after getting cut from all those same teams during their tryout camps a few months earlier. So that's kind of another interesting little twist to the story. I went to all the local junior development camps um, to try to try out for the team and I got cut from all of them. And then after three months or four months into my next season, I ended up getting signed because I had a good, a good start to that year. So would, that's where I started my junior career. Would you have been a, a senior in high school at this point? Junior in high school? What, how old you have been? Yeah, I would have been a senior. So that would have been my my grade, my no junior. My it would have been my grade eleven year. Okay. Which would be that's kind of when you're in grade eleven. That's your first year that you're eligible to play junior. Okay, gotcha. So my first year of eligibility to play junior, I played for the U18 AAA team. Got and it. And I got signed during that year to play junior. So. so let's talk about that U18 process because I know it's, I just want to uh, show how different it was. Were you living at home or were you billeting as a U17, U18 kid? Nope, lived at home. I still okay. lived at home then. So when I played for U18, it was at home. And then my first two years of junior, I was still at home because my junior team was close enough to my house that I didn't have to, it was only about a 45 minute drive uh, okay. to get to that junior team so I was still at home so you're playing juniors who's coming to see you and what is the track for the kids in that league do they want to play U.S. college do they do they want to play pro do they do they want to make a, a, a OHL team tell me what those tracks might look like for each of the kids in that G G O J H L. yeah so it's, it's it would be similar to well, there's actually just a big mix honestly so okay if you're 16 17, 18, you're, you'll probably fall into one of two categories. You're either someone who got drafted to an OHL team, yep. but you didn't make the team. Yep. So you're waiting to the, for the next year to try to make the team again. So that would be one bucket. And then the other bucket would be the 16, 17, 18-year-olds that are interested in pursuing NCAA. So those are kids that they might have gotten drafted or they didn't get drafted and they're trying to go more that avenue. And then the 19 and 20 year olds that are in the league, because it is an up to 20 yep. uh, year old league, those will be kids that maybe got cut from their OHL teams or they were just career uh, junior B or junior A type players that never made it to the OHL 
or didn't get recruited to go to NCAA. So, so that's kind of the mix of kids that would play in that league. You could be on a team with like literally a bunch of mutts. I mean, a bunch of different types of dogs, right? Like some guys, I'm I'm only my my ending point might be Canadian University because they've already went to the OHL and they can't go back to, to U.S. college, correct? Then you got young yeah, kids, absolutely. young kids who want to still maybe make the O, right? And then there's guys yeah. like you, you were kind of somewhere in the middle, right? You weren't drafted. You know, you maybe wanted to play in the O, but you were also maybe thinking, hey, I'd like to play American University, but you know what? I always have Canadian University as a fallback, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I was, uh, I was definitely the exact middle of the line there, exactly how you described it. I was starting to think NCAA when I was 17. Uh, I was kind of always in the back of my head, but I went to, I, I had an open trial for uh, the Windsor Spitfires OHL team when I was 17. Cause I had, I had a good year in junior that year as well. So it was still an option, but yeah, I was one of those undecided that didn't know, but it, it's an interesting dynamic because you can have kids that are young and still hungry to try to pursue hockey. And then the 19 and 20 year olds might have the attitude of, you know, their careers coming to an end and the, uh, the amount that they care has kind of diminished. So it can be a difficult a difficult situation to navigate in terms of who your teammates are, but I'm sure it's no different than, you know, being on an OHL team or at school when you're, when you're dealing with a whole bunch of different types of personalities. All right. So you're living in, in or near Windsor is your dream as a hockey player to play for the Windsor Spitfires or the university of Michigan or Michigan state? Oh, that's an interesting question. It actually, it changed over time for me personally. Yeah. I think when you're young, when you're young living in Windsor, that everyone wants to play for the Windsor Spitfires. That's kind of the goal. Or you want to play in the OHL or you don't really know what the OHL is or what the teams are, but it's cool to go to a Windsor Spitfires game when there's, you know, 6,000 people in the stands and it's rocking. And when I was a kid, the the Memorial Cup winning team, Windsor Spitfires, they won a couple years in a row and they were unbelievable to watch. They had a bunch of guys go on to play, uh, play pro and play in the NHL. Some of them still playing. Uh, Taylor Hall is probably the biggest name that people would remember from that right. team. But uh that's kind of the dream for most kids that live in here. But as, as you get older, you start to learn about different avenues, right? And that was kind of what happened for me. I started to figure out and learn a little bit about uh, Division One scholarships. And I, like I said, I didn't come from a hockey background, so I kind of had to learn a lot of this stuff on the fly and definitely, definitely made some mistakes in, in trying to figure that out. But I kind of changed. I started – I remember I went on a visit to – I think Western, Western Michigan was probably the biggest eye-opener for me. I remember touring that dressing room. And like, this is the amount of the facilities that they have and, and the types of services that they provide to students there is, was something I'd never seen before. So that was a big eye opener when I was 17 and saw that. And that was probably when I started to change a little bit and think maybe division one is, is the way I'd like to go. Right. Um, it, it's a fascinating question though. Like, you know, where do you stand on this? Because the Memorial cup is something I've never even watched. I've only, I know what it is. And I know how it merges together with the, with the leagues, but as an American, it, it's almost like a foreign concept. Like it's, it's basically like beyond the wall in, in the Soviet republics, right? It's, it's, it's completely yeah, foreign right, yeah, to us, sure, right? Sure. We don't know it. And, and, and you probably don't get a lot in, in Canada. You don't, probably get a lot of access to American college hockey. So it's probably a little bit of a foreign concept to you too, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think we're a little bit of an exception in Windsor because we're a border city and we're very close to Michigan, which is, you know, a big college sports state 
and you know they they have a lot of really good hockey teams even in in youth hockey whether it's uh I don't know how familiar your listeners will be with like, you know, Bell Tire or, yeah. or Honey Baked or CompuWare, those types of teams. Um, but then, yeah, you have your Michigan State, you got Michigan, those are big names. And because we're right across the border, we might have a little bit more than, than other places in Canada. But I mean, it was it, like we talked about earlier before we started to the information, the amount that people can get now and how everything's connected, it's, it's starting to become more clear what's going on in different places. So most of the kids now, even if you're drafted to the OHL, a lot of kids are still aware of NCAA options or how things work in the States to some degree. Whereas when I was young, it wasn't even close to like that. Like we had no, I didn't know what the frozen four was. I had no idea about any of that. Well, that, that's interesting. You should, you should bring that up because we talked a little bit before we, we hit the recording button and that was talking about, you didn't understand uh, what the BCHL was. And, and I think now, like, like you and I are in the industry, we understand the value of what the BCHL is and what, how big of an avenue it is to American college hockey. Um, walk through, like you, 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 we call it a mis- some of the mistakes that you made and how you, you were planning and, uh, with, with PowerTech, how you guys are kind of rectifying some of those mistakes in your life and how you can maybe help other kids. Yeah, for sure. So for me, I'll give one just very clear example to kind of illustrate the, the ignorance I had on what, what I should be doing or where I should be. When I was when I was 17, I was called by the coach of the Vernon Vipers, which is a BCHL team. Yep. And I had three days until the trade deadline, and I didn't know what the BCHL was. I, had, I didn't know that it was one of the top leagues for getting guys NCAA scholarships. I had no idea. And I just decided to not go because I didn't know what it was. I remember discussing it with my parents and I was saying how it just feels like it's not necessary to move way out there when I just had no idea what the opportunity would have been had I taken that. So little, not, not that that's a little thing, but things like that where it was just not knowing or my parents not knowing or people in my environment not being able to tell me um, you know, some of the things that would benefit me to help me avoid some of the roadblocks that maybe I could have avoided had I known things like that, you know? So if I, if I had known that the BCHL was the kind of league that it was, maybe I make a different decision and maybe I end up in a different place, you know? So at PowerTech, that's kind of the, my, uh, the owner of PowerTech, Andy, uh, pocket that people, if, if they follow the podcast or if they've seen some of our clips, um, that's kind of some of the stuff that we try to rectify and some of the information that we try to provide families and, and players who maybe don't really know the lay of the land, whether it's in Canada or, or the States. Cause even with, even with the NCAA type stuff, we may not be the most experienced in terms of our knowledge of that landscape, but we're connected to people who know and can provide information, whether it's through people like yourself or through college hockey Inc or other NCAA resources. So it's just trying to give people the correct information so they don't feel lost or make poor decisions based on something that could have been you know avoided. So, what is the, I, I think the, you know, we talked about undrafted free agents a little. We touched a little bit about an undrafted free agency. A, a kid from Minnesota, Ben Myers, basically at the end of his NCAA career, actually he was a junior technically, but he was 24 years old. And just basically at the end of his career, he was a Hobie Bacon finalist. And he basically had the choice between any 32 NHL teams where he was going to start his career, which is a pretty crazy. If he he was on, he was never drafted by the NHL, um, and here's a kid, any 22 year old, 24 year old kid would die to pick his NHL team um, through the undrafted route. Does that? 
type of information I just gave you about Ben Myers available to kids in Canada and Windsor, the kids you're training? Uh, it's, it's definitely, it's available, but um, the kids that know where to look for it or know how to find it, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure how accessible that type of information is to people that don't have a, a resource right next to them that can point them in that direction. Um, because like, like you were saying, talking about in Canada, it's, it's a little bit foreign, you know, some of the paths that you can take. And, and if you're, you know, if you're 23 years old and you're seeing a kid that, you know, or, or a younger kid and you're seeing someone who's 23 years old, make their NHL debut at any team that they want. And you didn't know that that was possible. Well, that could, that could kind of be a reason you give up when you're 16 and you think, well, I didn't get drafted to the OHL when I'm 16. That means I have no chance now. You know, right? And so I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if that's something that's that's available to to people. But but again, going back to that same point, there's a lot of information flying around, and I guess it's trying to just provide somewhere where all of the info, like a little bit of a resource hub where people can come to to get that kind of information to understand that there's different paths. You know, everyone can follow a different track. You can find a kid that was a first round pick to the O and went right to the NHL. You could find the undrafted kid who didn't get a division one scholarship till they were 20 and now they're in the NHL. So there's just a lot of different paths and it's important that people can understand that. Yeah. And I'm, and I trust, I'm not trying to make this, you, you have to go American college. I, I believe there are several different routes. Like you said, I mean, it's, it's not a one size fit all type of thing. Um, for, for me, my, my perspective of bringing you on the show is I, I was really fascinated by how much education your customers are getting versus, and we talked about it before the show as when I think of power tech, if I were to just go onto your website, I would probably learn about how I can get better skill from from Andy, for example. He's been a 20-plus 20, 20 year uh, NHL skills coach. I know I can improve my skill when I go there. And if I work with you, I know I can probably uh, improve on my, uh, my, uh, my strength, uh, my, maybe my puck handling skill, uh, my, my agility, you know, all of those physical attributes that are really important, obviously, uh, to make it uh, in professional or college hockey. But I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about some of the emotional things or some of the uh, mental things that are really important that are apply to hockey but might apply to life as well. Do you want to a little expand on that for us? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole um, reason that we started doing the podcast is to get exactly some of the things you're talking about out to people because the bottom line, like we, we mentioned before, is, is a lot of kids think that they need to be Connor McDavid to be a, a professional athlete or a professional hockey player in particular. You know, you need to be the 1% of the 1%. And a lot of kids work towards that, but unfortunately there's only 1% of the 1% that are going to be those people, you know? And so for a lot of kids and a lot of players, there's much more to the game than just developing your skills, you know, your physical skills or your physical attributes. That's very important for sure. And, and at PowerTech, that's obviously a huge component of, of what we do when we're training, particularly young players is developing their on-ice skills and their their off ice skills, whether that's fitness wise or recovery wise or with nutrition or whatever. But there's this whole other part of the game that we're just finding, especially with young kids is just so underdeveloped that people just aren't talking about. And uh, I remember going through it when I was a kid 
And if you talk to, to Andy, he says the same thing, like coaches aren't telling kids this or, or their parents don't know uh, what information to give them in terms of more like the mental piece of how to be mentally strong or resilient, or even just something as simple as being, being able to analyze your own game and understand how do you play and, and what are your strengths and, and which parts of your game should you work on developing into, you know, being a roller and identity for yourself. So I think, I think for a lot of people, they, they're missing that part. And it's important that you start to focus on some of those things because like, like I was saying, a lot of kids, they're not going to be hockey players. They're not going to play professionally. And a lot of people are going to be just like me. You know, they're going to be exactly like me. They're going to play their youth hockey. They're going to play their AAA. They're going to play their junior, maybe some college. And then you have to go out in, in the real world and you have to have a life. You know, you have to try to, to try to be, or you should want at least to be as successful as possible for yourself so that you can have a good life. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from playing a sport like hockey, but it takes the ability to pay attention, you know, to, to try to absorb those lessons as you're going through the game and as you're, uh, learning to to develop yourself into a professional, and if you if you try to develop yourself into a professional hockey player, you're going to find a lot of skills that can translate into other areas of life when you're done. And that's something that I found with myself, and I think that's something valuable that a lot of kids could learn. All right, well, you're just kicking it, kicking ass here, Eric. I appreciate your replies. <laughs> I, I, we'll get to we'll get back to that in just one second, but I want to just finish off. Uh, the intro of you a little bit um you finished uh junior hockey uh ended up going back to what's the name is it windsor university university of windsor what's is it what it called yep university of windsor That's university of windsor uh in your hometown i uh, you got a degree what was your degree in uh, my degree is electrical engineering. Electrical engineering. Uh, so, is there some is there some uh, a connection connecting point between uh, electrical engineering and and training hockey players? What's the connection there? That's a fascinating question. I could go I could go on a tear about that. For sure, but, uh, <laughs> I think I think because that's think not what you said to me before the interview. You're like, well, I kind of didn't like it, and I my passion just kept coming back to hockey. But I'd love to see if you want to make an a connection here on the show there 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 is definitely and it's it's just not obvious it's kind of more of an abstract connection that i i started to make and i i was really i was really into the work i like the problem solving like one thing i definitely credit my parents with is it was not acceptable to do poorly in school and i remember from the time i was a little kid it was 80 average absolute minimum and and that's in in canada which some people would say that it's a it's a pretty high high bar in terms of academics in Canada and it was just not acceptable. So I always did well through school, um, high school as well, even though I was more of a hockey player type and didn't necessarily care a whole lot about school. I knew it was important to do well. So when I, when I switched into, uh, to the gears and into university and started to focus more on engineering, it was, it was just fascinating by trying to be able to solve problems and trying to prioritize and manage a schedule. And it was a lot of soft skills that, uh, that I realized were important in order to be successful with that degree. And, and I was, I did extremely well in university and that was while having the same kind of travel schedule as a, or the same kind of game playing schedule and practice schedule and workout schedule that most of the NCAA division one players would have, you know, you're on the ice for four days a week for practice two get two games a week, a couple workouts mixed in there per week. And then I saw had to study and, and do all that kind of stuff, write my exams and, and do something that's engineering, which is actually a difficult, actually a difficult major to complete. And 
what I found when I was doing that is a lot of these skills, whether it's being able to solve problems or manage a schedule or be on time, get things done, or, or even just take care of yourself, make sure you're getting to bed on time. There's a lot of these lessons, like we were talking about earlier, the, that crossover, you know, from being an hockey player to be, being in school. And I found when I jumped into university, I had a lot of these lessons I learned from hockey to be able to, to prioritize how to execute on this, on this degree, which was now the focus, you know? So then I went to engineering, completed that. And I found, wow, I have a lot of problem solving skills now from doing engineering that kids can apply the same types of principles to problem solving for themselves, you know, whether it's things to do with their game, things to do with what they're doing away from the rink. It's, it's a pattern, you know, and that pattern can be applied in any domain that you want. So it's not specific to engineering type of work. And that's why I said it's more of like an abstract concept that you can just pull something out and you can apply it now to something else that you're doing. You know? You know, and that's kind of where I see the connection between the two. I never, ever, ever thought of it that way but you've probably heard this term called re-engineering right it's kind of like taking the car apart and putting it back together right yeah for sure right so so walk me through this like somebody has a game right and and, and little johnny comes to you or jenny or whoever comes to you and says hey help me fix my game well you're in some ways engineering just not electrically but physically re-engineering their game to become a better skater, better stick handler, better person, better whatever it might be, yeah, right? Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. I yep. never well, thought of that. I mean, well, we, t- we talked about this on one of the past podcast episodes that we did. We were talking about how to get out of a slump, just as an example, right? So if a kid comes to me and says, hey, I'm not scoring any goals, it's like, okay, let's, the term, it's funny you said re-engineering, it's Andy and I call it reverse engineering. Right. We're going to take the end, we're going to take the end point and we're going to trace ourselves back to something that we can actually work on to make this better. So what I find with a lot of kids is when they're describing themselves, how they play or things that they want, they're very focused on outcomes. They're very focused on getting a particular result and yeah. they don't focus enough on process, right? So when we're, when we're talking about, things like I'm not scoring a lot of goals. One of our, our favorite questions to ask is why. Okay. So let's try to, let's try to figure out why that's the case. So it could be something that you're going to now have to drop back to something that's process based, because if you just say, I'm not scoring any goals, there's nothing to fix there. Correct. Nothing specific that you can work on. So if we can say, okay, well, what were you doing when you were scoring goals? Where were you on the ice? Were you getting pucks to the net more? Are you trying to get too close to the goalie when you're trying to score a goal? What are the things that you were doing before that now you're not doing? And it's that same type of analysis that you do to solve any problem. It's the exact same thing. You know? So you're starting from where do I want to be? And let's take some steps back to figure out how we can rebuild this to get there again. Um, I had a very similar response. I was standing with a coaching staff. Uh, and I, again, I'm not taking credit for this team's success at all. But hopefully I had 1% to do with it. But they they were one of these teams that were notoriously starting fast. They started really fast and then fizzled at the end of the year. And I said to them, and again, this is a lobby conversation. It wasn't like we had a, uh, a big session or whiteboard or anything like that. I said, hey, have you ever thought of doing the complete opposite of what you've done uh, to get the results, so you can go the opposite way, where you start slow and and, and fast, and and they said, yeah, we, yeah. We, we thought about that, and guess what they did this year? And again, they had an enormous amount of talent. They had the best player in the state, um, and ended up making it 
farther than they ever had made. And I was like, and we would always joke throughout the year. I'm like, you, you, you flipped the table, didn't you? Basically what they did is what you just said. They re-engineered themselves or reverse engineered what they were doing. And they started off brutal. They were like one and six to start the year. Yeah. Yeah. And you got it. Sometimes you got to look at it that way, right? Yeah, for sure. At at school, this was called, uh, we call it first principles thinking, right? You start from first principles. Like what are, what are the things that, at the very root level, we know we have. So this could be like raw skills. If you're, if you're trying to come up with a team identity, for example, what type of team do we have? Are we a fast team? Are we a physical team? Are we a skilled team? Are we, do we have a bunch of really good passers? Are we a really good skating team? So you start from there. Like you start from your first principles, and then you can start to design what's going to work in the structure, whether it's your team. And you can do that for yourself as an individual as well. So, yeah, so you get back to basics, and then you can build up from there for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think of it. I never, I never once thought of it that way. Um, okay, so let's dig in here. The, the reason I really wanted to have you on the show is to go through some of this stuff, adversity. I mean, I, I was watching, I believe, a, a TikTok, and uh, your partner, and Andy, was talking, you know, kind of feeding you these questions about adversity, and you were going through some of the uh, obvious things to do with adversity. And what struck me most in the TikTok was – you were looking down at a notepad. So like, it wasn't like you were just rattling this stuff off. You had done quite extensive research on some of these elements of adversity uh, that players have or will face. And I'm thinking, you know what? At first, when I started watching your first TikTok, I'm like, well, what do these Canucks know? They don't think about hockey. We're Americans. We, we're better than you and everything, right? And then I started listening to you and I'm like, this kid is smart. He's got this thing down. And not only does he have this thing down but he has it all written out in front of him and that was what impressed me most i'm like that's not most of the hockey trainer types that we run into in minnesota they're 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 good at hockey and they're good at training but they don't really have it a checklist like you had and it was talking about things that weren't necessarily physical in nature you know what I mean? These weren't these right. weren't stride issues. These weren't puck handling issues. These weren't mohawks. These weren't you know the things that you guys do on a day to day basis. These were things that were more about the cranium than rather than the the uh, shins or the calves or the or the glutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that, that's uh, that episode we were, we were talking about kind of adversity piece and and what it means to be tough as a hockey player. And, and those are kind of the things that we were touching on. And, and a lot of those things, like when people think of someone who's tough, it's, it's somebody who can fight, you know, or, or a lot of these things that translate from, from toughness to adversity are, are soft skills. You know, the things that happen mentally, you can't see them. You I'm know? glad you, you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned this, Eric. I took a video screenshot of that part and tweeted it out. I, I was so blown away. You talked about a guy that was like, wasn't big, wasn't this, didn't fight, didn't do this, but he's still the hardest guy you ever played against. And he didn't possess a lot of the characteristics of toughness, correct? Yeah, for, for what, you know, stereotypically toughness means, definitely. And, and the biggest one, just to maybe get into some of the points that I was making, was, was that, that kid I was talking about in particular was just his, the level of compete that he had on the ice. And do you remember his, do do you remember his name? Level. Do you remember the guy's name? I do remember his name. I do remember. Come his on, name. let's out uh, the guy. Was, let's out this tough guy. Let's out him a little I'm bit. Go, I'm going. I'm gonna. I'll out him because I don't think he, he would care. But his name was Nate Barris, and you can, uh, you can, you could probably look him up on on HockeyDB if you wanted to. I played with him at the university, and and this is one of those guys, and, and it's just another 
Testament, if you look at his stats, it's very underwhelming on paper, you know, very underwhelming to look at on paper, just had average junior career by the numbers. But this was a guy that you would not outcompete this guy. There's no chance. And he was one of the hardest working kids I've ever, I've ever played with. And, uh, he was strong in all the right ways, but he just would not quit. He would not quit. It didn't matter how big you are. It didn't matter if you were better than him. It didn't matter if you were physically superior. It would not matter. This guy, the, the compete that this guy would bring to the table every day was, was something I had never seen before. And I learned a lot from him. I became really good close friends with him through university. And I learned a lot from him uh, because of that. You know, whether we were training off ice, like running sprints or doing hills or whatever, like there was a lot of things I learned from this kid just because he had that willingness to keep doing battle every day, day in, day out, kept battling all the time. And, and the that's something that... Sorry, go ahead. No, and the part that you talked about is he didn't fight, right? Like fighting wasn't no. what made him so tough. But he was hard to no, play against, no, right? Hard to play against. He would throw his face in front of a shot. He would always. He was always the first to engage physically, and so so there's an element of of that physical toughness, definitely. But it was just that never back down. Like like just having a good stick, even like even if you wouldn't get you know into the hits necessarily, is like just always stick on puck. If he got burned, he'd be busting to get back as fast as he could like there was never a question that this guy was giving you 100 percent of his effort every night never a question and and it's just it's something that's really admirable and i i find a lot of kids don't have that you know some people will call it like a second and third effort there's you know the coaching terms like that that people like to use but i'm finding that's that disappears a lot you can see even if you watch junior games or ohl or or whatever uh, NCAA. Sometimes you can see some of these guys that are, are top players. They'll you know turn the puck over or whatever, and there's just no bite. You know, there's no bite to get back. Something that Andy and I call call jam. You know, have some jam to your game. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of kids are missing that, and that's a soft skill. It's not something that's always obvious physically. You know. And you can sort of teach that, encourage that in 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 battle drills and things like that at, at, at a team practice, but a lot of it's just kind of built in, right? Yeah, a lot of it's a lot of it's built in, but I, I do believe that you can turn it on in a lot of kids. You know, I, I really believe that if you, if you and and again, this just kind of circles back to, to spreading good information. A lot of kids just haven't heard this stuff before. You know, I'll, I'll never remember. I had one one year in in junior. I, it was I think it was my first year playing junior. I thought I was a skilled player, and I had twelve games without getting a point, and I couldn't believe it. Like I didn't know what was going on. I was a young kid. And I remember my coach at the time pulled me in and he said to me, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. He said to me, okay, you're not getting points. And I, he asked me why I gave him every excuse in the book. Like the guys on my line are no good. I'm not getting enough ice time. I'm not like, like not I on the power play. Time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not on the power play. No special teams. Like how am I supposed to stay in the game when I play seven minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. And after I finished talking, he just said to me, okay, if you don't do something else to be valuable, I'm going to scratch you. That's what he said. And nobody had ever said that there was something else to be done. <laughs> you know? So but he, was, know. he wasn't saying you should fight, was he? No, he wasn't saying I should fight. Okay. He was All saying right. that maybe, maybe, maybe I need to block a shot. Maybe I need to make sure I get every puck out on the wall. Maybe I need to make sure that I'm battling hard and not losing those 50-50 pucks. Maybe, maybe I need to make sure that if, if – my D has the has the puck at the point. I'm not flamingoing when I'm going out there to get in the shot lane. You know, I'm keeping both legs down and willing to eat it. It's things like that, you know, and that's not fighting. It isn't fighting. And and that's doing things like that 
will help to get you out of the hole when you feel like, you know, you have some adversity to battle or you feel like you have, you know, you're in a bit of a slump or whatever. If you go back to some of these little things that can make you valuable outside of scoring a goal, like these are things that are important. And, and that's what I, what I meant when I was saying, like, people aren't telling kids this, you know, everybody's worried about being Connor McDavid, you know, and there's a lot more to being a hockey player than just that. There's a lot more things you can do that are valuable. And it's, that's, that's another one of the points I made. It's just doing things that are hard, you know, blocking shots, getting pucks out on the wall, being strong on your stick, like those types of things, being a good teammate. Like these are things that, that people don't really put any emphasis on in terms of developing yourself as a player, but they're important. All right. So how many of those, those bullet points in your adversity log that you did in that show, how many have we touched on? Have we touched on two? How many are there? It just seemed like the list kept going when actually, I actually saw the TikTok and then went specifically to that pod and listened to it. And it was fascinating to me. I would highly recommend it to anyone, but how, how much have we touched so far? Well, we, t- we touched on mo- most of them. I'd say there's, you know, there's, I think there's about five main categories that I talked about in that one. And, and I'm just from memory, I could be missing a couple, but we talked about the compete and doing, doing some of the hard things. Yeah. And then mental resiliency kind of ties into that as well, where it's like, you need to be able to bounce back when things aren't going your way, you know, and that's something you can practice. Like you can practice that. Like there's a mental framework for that. How is you that? Know, How do you do that? Going your way. How do you do that? Well, you need to come up with a strategy. So one thing that we do with our players, if let's say, you know, things aren't going your way or you think you're not having a good game, it's really easy to get into the you know mental vortex of negativity where you can't get out of it. You know, I find that I remember it when I was a kid. And, and by the way, just as a side note, I am not saying I did all these things when I played either. No. This is the other thing, like this is from when I reflect back, these are things that would have helped me. Right. You know? And so that, that mental resiliency thing, like I remember – being on the fourth line my first year of junior and thinking my coach forgot I was on the team because I'm not going on the ice, you know? So th- there's things like that and you have to come up with a strategy. So it's like, if you, if you feel like I'm not playing well, like, okay, how are you measuring that? How are you measuring that you're not playing well? And one of the things that we like to do with our guys is say, pick three or four things that make you a good player that aren't getting points. I was going to say goals so and assists, be, right? Because that, that's what everybody goes to, right? Or, or, you know, how many goals did you get? How many assists did you have this year? And those aren't useful metrics because sometimes it can be a metric. It can be an indicator of how you're playing. But sometimes you just don't get the bounces. Sometimes there's things that you can't control. Sometimes there's things that you can. But sometimes there's just things you can't control. So how can you still have a good game without necessarily being on the score sheet? And those are kind of the metrics that we talk about. And those are things that if you have three or four of those things, you can always go back to that. So when you're sitting on the bench between shifts and you think, man, I'm not having a good game. It's like, okay, well, what are my three things? Let's say it's make sure you finish your hits, make sure you get pucks out on the wall. And let's make sure that if you're in the offensive zone, you're getting the puck to the net, something like that. Right. There's three things. It's, so you can, and then you can assess that on the bench. Between shifts, oh, I'm not playing well. Okay. Well, let's go to my checklist. Did I do these three things? Okay. Maybe I'm not playing as bad as I thought, you know? So that's one strategy as an example. It's funny you should bring that up. It's almost like you could build your own metrics, right, for success, as long as they were realistic, right? For sure, and you should because players are different. You know, there's there's no one player that's exactly like another player. You know, it's very individual. So you might be a good skater, you might be a big body, and you might have a good shot. Like the kid that's on your line, he might be a smaller guy. He might be maybe a, a little bit more of a playmaker, 
he's going to have different metrics whether he has a good game or not. That's why you can't use goals. You can't use how many goals that I score, how many assists that I get. You know, you use other things to measure how you are being successful because points are going to come or not. Sometimes you can control it. Sometimes you can't. But you can't always will points. You know, you can't just will points into being. But you can go back to three things and you can you can check whether or not you're doing those. And, and that's something you can do with yourself. It's something you can do with your parents. It's something you can do with your coach, especially if you're playing at a higher level. Like if you're going to, if you're playing maybe your senior year of high school, or if you're playing in the NCAA, like come up with three things with your coach even so that you guys are on the right. same page. Because when you go and, when you go and meet with your coach and you're like, Hey coach, like, why am I not playing? Like, well, maybe he can say, well, you're not doing these three things that we said. It sounds so like if you don't have that communication. It's, it's not going to work. It sounds like points is a pet peeve to yours. One of my, and I'll give you my pet peeve, and I'll, I'll go back to yours, is you get a kid, uh, he might play in like a lower level division or whatever it might be, and he ends up with a point a game, right? He gets a 40, 40 points in 40, in 40 games. And then if you really look, you pull back the onion a little bit, and you look, he had... 26 of his points against teams that were way below 500, way below average. And it's like, mm, does he really have a good year? That's one of my pet peeves is guys like, whoa, yeah, he's a point of game guy his whole year and his whole career in junior, whole career in high school or whatever it might be. And then you're like, really look at it. It's like, mm, this guy. And then, and then when you go scout him or go evaluate him, you're like, He's got bad body language. He's got this, you know. He only can score on his forehand, you know. Like, like you certain things that you can't, you, you see, right? What would that's one of my Absolutely. pet peeves. What's one of yours where you where, where we're talking about player evaluations or, or 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 value of the the player to the team, right? Yeah, for sure. I think. I mean, for me, it's it's. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, it's a pet peeve, um, and that it bothers me. But but just I think it's overemphasized how much you know points matter and i it's, i remember it's very easy to get caught up as a kid how many points i can get i need to get points to be noticed and all that kind of stuff and it's just not the case it's it's when we go watch games and we watch games with scouts all the time and we're in touch with scouts all the time and general managers and coaches that coach in the ohl coach in the nhl scout in the nhl scout in the ohl and they know when they're watching the kids that are good and the kids that are not and very seldom does it have to do with how many points they get you know it's very, it's very easy. You look, you can look at a, you know, standout player that gets five points a game, and it's like, okay, that it matters maybe for that kid because he's one of those one percenters, you know. But you know, we got a kid that we trained. He's probably going to get drafted fairly high in this in the OHL draft coming up, and he was a point a game player in AAA, and mm-hmm. that is not an overwhelmingly good number if you look on paper. But you know, we went and watched the game, and we were watching with a few scouts, and this kid didn't lose a battle, never lost a battle on the wall. And that's what the scout noticed. He didn't notice that he, how many points he got. And this kid, he did end up scoring in that game too, which it was, that was fine. It's not like it's going to hurt you to get points. So I don't want to say points don't matter at all, but I just think they're overemphasized. And when, when players are thinking about what they need to be doing from an on ice perspective and how their performance is being judged, it's very easy to get into a selfish mindset. If you're always focused on the points and on the outcome, you know, like I, I'll say it again, just like it's about process. People notice process. And a lot of times if you have a good process to your game and whatever that means for you as an individual, it will be noticed. It will be noticed, whether it's by a scout or a coach or another team or whatever. And that's opportunities come from that, you know, but people get caught up in the, you know, the kids that are the exceptional status that get five points a game. And, and that's not the vast majority of kids are not that, you know, they're not. 
I I cheated. I did listen to a couple other of your podcasts, and exceptional status was one of the topics. Uh, do you, can you explain yeah. to our American listeners what exceptional status is? Because I know a few of these players, and some are successful, and some have never really made it, for lack of a better term. What is what does exceptional status mean, and and what does it do really? What does it do for a player to have it? Yeah. So in in the OHL, in the CHL, actually yep. across all. If uh, your draft year is when you're playing at the U16 level, so you're either 15 or 16 years old, that's when you're eligible to be drafted in the OHL. If you are a player who is granted exceptional status, that means you're a year younger for the most part. There hasn't been anyone uh, more than one year younger, but typically it means you're playing up a year and they think you're good enough to get drafted with that year up age group. So some of the guys that names that people might recognize where that happened in the OHL was uh, John Tavares, uh, Connor McDavid, Shane Wright. I don't know if people will, will know. I was going to say Shane Wright, um, who I'm very familiar with because I saw him play in our yeah, tournament, yeah. our local yeah. tournament here. Yeah, there's a lot. Connor, Connor Bedard out west was another one. I think he was exceptional. He's phenomenal. Uh, in he, the Western League, phenomenal player. And, and so that's that's what that, that means. Aaron Ekblad was another one. He's yep. the guy that trained very closely at PowerTech with us. Um, and, and it's, that's what that, that's what exceptional status means. And, and we were just discussing in that episode you're referring to is just what does it actually do for the player? So to your question, it's in my opinion and, uh, something that we discuss, it's, it's more of just like, it's a marketing thing. It's a cool thing to have somebody get exceptional status, but in terms of the development of the player or what it means for the player, would it, would it hurt that player to play another year of AAA into their draft year? Probably not. Um, a kid that just got granted exceptional status in the OHL for this draft. Misa, right? Misa. Yeah. yeah. M-I-S-A. Is he a Toronto play. kid? Yeah, he played for the, uh, the Mississauga Senators. Okay. And, uh, he, so he, we watched the, the OHL Cup, which is the basically the Ontario Provincial Championship for the U16 age group. Yep. And in that final game, he had three goals and two assists. And he's just like a outstanding, outstanding player. So is he, he an 06 he got, or 05 or what is he? He's a, he was, he's an 07. 07. The 06 age group. So okay. The, got the 06 it. 06 age group is the draft eligible age this year. So he's playing a year up and dominated, dominated. Okay. And uh, very similar to, he actually, he actually tied Connor McDavid's, Connor McDavid's record um, for points uh, in that tournament in the OHL Cup. So, He's he's a great uh, he's a great player and and that's that's good for him. But in terms of what it means for him as a player, I don't know how necessary it it, it is to be granted that exceptional status. It basically gives you an additional year of major junior versus playing AAA. That's really all it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it. it's nothing. It's it's not like I'm exceptional status. I get to get drafted a year early in the NHL. It, does, it really doesn't have a big bearing other than he doesn't have to play with his peers. He can go play up with major junior. He can play with twenty year olds when he's 15, 16 years old, right? Yeah, for sure. And and, and like Aaron Ekblad, that when he got exceptional status, like if he plays another year of AAA, he's not going to be the first overall pick in the NHL draft later. Probably not. He'll probably still be the first overall pick because he's a phenomenal player. Right. So it's it's. I think it's just a cool thing, and I think the OHL benefits from having that from a marketing perspective. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying I. And for or against the exceptional status rule, I don't. I don't actually care. Right. But I'm just drawing. We were just pointing out, like in terms of the player development side of things, will these kids be worse off spending another year playing AAA? And, and for most of them, it would probably be the no. answer. Would probably be no. 
No, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I, like you got, it seems like they have one every, there isn't an 06 yet, but there was definitely when you, when you go back, uh, Bedard's an 05, right, right's an 04. Um, it seems yep. like almost like every year they're, the, the CHL is allowing at least one kid in there. Maybe it's a marketing thing. It's their, maybe it's their marketing against the, the national development marketing machine that we've built here in America that some might be in favor of and some might be against. And I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm an anti NTDP kid, but, uh, that's, that's a story for another day. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that there are, I, I guess the anti is a wrong word, but I believe that there are, uh, in America, especially with all the resources that we have, way better ways to spend all the money that they have towards 20 players. They could use it to spend it towards building 200 players or 500 players, not just 20 each year. So just my opinion. Um, so let's go. We got about three minutes to go here. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you, what your guys' path at PowerTech is. What, what's in the future? What's exciting? What are you guys working on uh, that's going to be great for your customers or your future customers to work with you guys? Yeah, for sure. So I think uh, since, since COVID started, we've really started to expand our, our online reach. And, and I guess this interview would probably be a testament to that kind of panning out for us. Uh, the fact that we can connect with, with a lot of people uh, across North America and then a lot of people through Europe are starting to find our stuff and reach out. Um, I think the, the most exciting part of, of what we're doing is just that. It's that trying to extend our message and and really inform not just players, but parents and coaches on, on some of this information that they need to navigate through the hockey space because you can see a lot of kids that are, they get discouraged or they give up or they are making poor decisions um, and it's preventable, you know, it's things that, that don't need to be. So I think from that perspective, we have, uh, we're really, we're really starting to put a lot of focus on that. Um, and it's, it seems to be going, going well so far. And then on top of that, we have our, a lot of our elite camps, uh, going on locally, whether that's for, uh, you know, kids that are preparing for the draft or, uh, stuff with, with off ice training, all the standard things that you would find at a training facility like ours, but, but the most exciting thing for me personally is, is doing stuff like this, you know, when you get to talk to people and try to give them good information, if one kid can listen to it and it helps them make a better decision or it helps them get through a slump or it helps them develop themselves better uh, in a better way as a person, whether that's uh, as a hockey player, or as a person for when they're done playing hockey, because that day is going to come for a lot of kids where hockey's over. And uh, we just want to make sure that we're equipping kids to be great people, not just not just hockey players. Yeah, the the dots. I mean, the dots that you can learn uh, in a hockey drill. I, I I always say it like we we. <laughs> this is going to be a really silly example, but um, I have to line up when we run a tournament. I have to line up twenty kids or seventeen kids to take pictures. Right? If the first kid doesn't line up and do it right guess what? It's a disaster. The next 16 kids, a disaster. But if I can get the first kid to do it right, just like a hockey drill, right? The 16 players following is going to be really easy to snap their pictures and get them out the door in three minutes. Well, that's a, that's an example of life, right? If you can get people to follow your instruction or, or follow your leadership, you can be successful. Just like in anything in life, these, these are lessons you can learn in everything. So I'm sure you have many, many examples similar to that where you've learned in hockey and you've then processed it with a kid and then that kid has processed it into life outside of the rink. 
Oh yeah. But, I mean, we could, we could talk for another four hours about, about this kind of stuff for sure. But uh, I think I would say just generally speaking on that point, I think the most important thing that kids need to keep in mind is it's very, very important who's in your environment. It's very important. And, you know, that means who are your friends? What are, what's your family like? What's it like at your house? Do you got kids that are, you know, dialed in with their eating? Are they trying to be hockey players and go to bed on time so that they can perform? Or do you got kids that want to hang out at the skate park and do all this other stuff that doesn't really align with what your goals are? And in a general sense, I think that's, at the end of the day, that would be the message I'd preach to, to a lot of kids is pay very close attention to what you're putting in your brain and what's, com- what's coming in uh, as input around you. You know, I think that's the most important thing that kids can start to focus on. If, if they get nothing else from, from our talk today, I, I would hope that it would be that, you know, just pay attention to what kind of things you're listening to, pay attention to who you're hanging out with. And that will give you, you know, the best, the best chance at, if not achieving your goals, at least setting yourself up to be a good person and, and have a good life after hockey. On one of your pods, Andy was talking about vices, right? I think chewing tobacco might have been in the vice. It turns out as a simple little thing, and then it turns into something that ends up hurting your career. Or a video game could start out as fun. You're just playing a video game, and it can turn into something bad. And and then he talked, it was hilarious, he talked about coffee. Like, literally the most innocent thing in the whole world, right? Coffee. No, How could coffee ever be bad, right? If you drink three yeah. coffees in a day, right, it becomes a, a, a vice. Now, guess what? You can't sleep. And now you're putting a lot of this coffee has sugar in it, right? Tons of sugar and cream and bad. Pretty soon, the vice can just take over your game. And pretty soon, a simple cup of coffee can hurt your hockey career. Yeah, and the funny thing about that, too, is just... Isn't it funny? It was like, wow, one cup of coffee. It is. People, sometimes criticisms that we get on some of our videos is we talk about these things very seriously, and that doesn't mean you can never have a coffee. That's (laughs) not what our message is. I know, but but it was interesting, right? but, 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 But the point of what we're saying, and when we're talking about things like that, is if you want to be an elite performer and whatever you're doing, some people can get away with doing whatever they want because they're just that good. But the vast majority of people can't. And if you talk to actual professionals, people that actually play the game or are actually successful in whatever they're doing, there's not a lot of room for, for the vices as you, as you call them. There's not a lot of room for that because a lot of times it takes away, like you said, and it actually builds up to make a difference when you're trying to achieve something, you know? So for a lot of those kids, and I was one of those kids, like I had things that I could have done different for sure. That would have helped. And again, it's not, it's not about, you can never do this or you can never do that, but it's about not making it something that's a habit, you know, that can actually affect you down the road. I'm so glad you brought that up because these choices come up to me all the time in my, just in my business life. Right. So I have a choice when I'm running a tournament, I've just been on my feet for 16 hours and then families used to call and say, Hey, you should come have a couple beers with us. Just seems pretty normal. Right couple beers at a hockey tournament never is a good thing it's it's now it's two in the morning well they don't realize i have to be up at six now i'm running a hockey tournament on four hours of sleep do you think how successful is that hockey tournament and how successful is our business it's not so just drinking beers with families at a hockey tournament is never a yes for me ever for the same reason right you can't be successful Little things like that, right? They can just build up, you know? So that's all we were talking about with that. Just try to avoid having things like that that are going to be a habit that, that cost you things that you're saying you want to achieve, you know? And it, and it doesn't mean that I don't want to socialize and I'm not antisocial, right? Right. 
it's just it can't be. It just I, I cannot do that at an event because the rest of the it affects everything else within the event. And 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 just like that cup of coffee or that that beer that I'm turning down, it's also going to benefit you long term. Whether it's p- picking up disciplines. Uh, disciplines of saying no or disciplines of, of being good at it. But to be a high performer in anything, you're going to have to make some sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're talking about. You know, for maybe a more relatable example for the kids is with video games. Like, yes. You know, you got a you game, game tomorrow. Should you stay up playing no. Call of Duty or no. Fortnite or whatever? No. No. Like, right? You, you, you can, but that's, it'll cost you. You're going to feel it tomorrow. That's for sure. So it's, 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 that's what I was talking about with the environment too, right? Like you'll find a group of people that don't want to do those things. You know, they want, they're more aligned with what your goals are. And that's, that's kind of what the, the message is there. Yeah. Amen. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Eric. I, I appreciate you coming on. We could go on for on and on, but I like to keep them to an hour. We're just over an hour. I could have spent another 60 minutes just breaking this stuff down. Hopefully we have a chance to connect again, whether it be on one of your podcasts or one of ours or through the hockey community. I'm sure it's a, it's a small community, whether it's American or Canadian. I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. Thanks a lot. Had a great time with you, and uh, we'll definitely chat again soon. Eric Palazzolo from Powertech Hockey in Windsor, Ontario.